Charles Dickens' work, uh, A Christmas Carol, is perhaps the most widely recognized Christmas story. It was uh, originally published on December 19, 1843, and only 6,000 copies were originally printed. And though it was uh, printed on December 19th, by Christmas Eve, all 6,000 copies had already been sold out in all the bookstores in, in London. Uh, it was eventually written in a script for a stage play, and it's uh, performed on countless stages uh, throughout the world every single year. Uh, it's been in movies that have uh, adaptations. When it comes to the world of literature uh, and the stage, there, there really aren't very many stories that can top uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol. In the music world, however, there is there's one set of tunes that is usually considered the most recognized in, uh, in Christmas, uh, in, in uh, Christmas in history. And I'm sorry to break it to you, it's not Mariah Carey's Merry Christmas album. Uh, and it's not one of Amy Grant's 50 Christmas albums that she seems to put a new one out every year or so. Uh, it's actually an oratorio, and that's not a word that many of us are familiar with, but an oratorio is a set of songs uh, more classically oriented. Uh, it is like an opera without the, uh, without the glitz and glamour and without sort of the drama that goes with it. It's just straight singing and straight music for however long the composer had composed it for. The Messiah was written by a guy named uh, George Frederick Handel. And it was premiered in 1742. And it has been played by orchestras and sung by choirs every single year throughout uh, the world ever, ever since. So when it comes to uh, the music world, what we just heard, the Hallelujah Chorus, comes from the Messiah. And it is recognizable really anywhere we go. But it started with, with, uh, with no little controversy, by the way. Uh, Handel was a German-born composer who had uh, ended up being employed in England at the invitation of the king uh, to be the official composer of England. And his musical reputation, however, was, well, far from religious. He was very well known for his secular operas. In fact, during one of, uh, one of his performances uh, of an opera in 1727, I don't know what happened... But the two leading sopranos during the opera ended up getting into a fist fight on stage during the opera. And the audience, instead of, you know, being, you know, we think of, of opera and, and English as being really proper, they were cheering these women on as they fought there on the stage. Uh, Handel was very polarizing because he, he often invited cathedral church choirs to come and sing at his, uh, at his secular operas. So when Handel made this jump from the, the secular world of opera to sacred oratorio, it was met with, it was met with charges of blasphemy, which means he is, he's disregarding the, the, the holy name of God by making this switch. There were churches that forbid any of their members or any of their singers from going and singing uh, any part of this oratorio. Uh, it has well been documented, however, that though this is like a, a two and a half to three hour piece, Handel wrote it in 24 days. He basically locked himself in a room. Food was delivered to him. He would take the food and he would just keep writing almost all day and all night in order to come up with what we have uh, today. And though it was met with skepticism from some of the religious elite of the day, it stood the purpose of, 
uh, it, it, stood the, it stood the test of time, and it is held to his original purpose of writing it. If you were to look at the original manuscript on the back of the front page of his oratorio, The Messiah, it says, to God alone be the glory. Interesting, though, it is only performed at Christmas time. The Messiah is not a Christmas oratorio. It was originally written for Easter time. And this is especially true uh, at Christmas Eve. Uh, it is the most famous, uh, its most famous work is the Hallelujah Chorus. And unless you're a really small child, no doubt what we just listened to here is very recognizable. You've heard it before perhaps many times. And the Hallelujah Chorus, interestingly, doesn't even focus on the birth of Jesus at all. Rather, it's a portrayal of the titles of the baby who is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. So tonight, we're going to briefly look uh, at this particular song and see how it shapes our faith. Uh, throughout the last few weeks, we have taken many Christmas songs and broken them down to show how it shapes our understanding of faith and, and life. And today, uh, we are going to uh, look at the Hallelujah Chorus. The good news is it's only three lines long, and it's got a bunch of hallelujahs thrown in there. Uh, so uh, we'll make it short and sweet. There, there are four things that we need to look at when we think of this song. The first is, is that we need to uh, make our life's purpose to praise Jesus. We need to make our life's purpose to praise Jesus. The very nature of the word hallelujah is rooted in two Hebrew words, Hallelu, which, which uh, essentially is a command to praise. And it's a plural command. So it's, it's saying, hey, to all of you, you praise the Lord. You praise the Lord. In the South, we would say, y'all praise the Lord. This is what we are called to do. And the Yah is short form for the name of God. It is the name of, of Yahweh, the one true and living God who's manifest in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the only God who is worthy of our praise. This is the God who created everyone and everything. And this is the God in whom everyone has, uh, lives and moves and has their being. This is the one true God who out of love calls you and I to love him. And through the Trinitarian work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to be forgiven and pardoned and made new, forgiven for our cosmic treason against his universal kingship, pardoned because the Son took the wrath of God that we deserved on our behalf. This was the Father's plan for our redemption, accomplished in Christ and applied by the Holy Spirit. And in that act for love, of love, we, you and I, we can be made new. So Christmas time, when we think of, of this baby boy lying in a manger among stable animals, it ought to have our souls cry out, praise the Lord. You, praise the Lord. You, praise the Lord. Everybody, praise the Lord. Redemption is available through him. And second, we need to make Jesus the king of our lives. We need to make Jesus the king of our individual lives. It's helpful to know that Handel didn't actually write the words to the Messiah. Uh, the words that came from that was, uh, was by a guy named Charles Jennings, 
who took uh, literally passages from the Bible and put them more into poetic form. He was a, a poet and a musician who worked for Handel and a number of oratorios. And line after, line after the first bunch of hallelujahs, the first line comes from Revelation 19. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That's language we don't typically use. It comes from the King Jimmy version. But it's uh, that, that the all-knowing God reigns. In verse 6, it says, Then I heard something like a voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Now, you can imagine that. The Apostle John, this is like an auditory overload for him. Uh, if you've ever gone hiking uh, into a state park where they've had a large waterfall, and the closer you get to the waterfall, the sound can be overwhelming because it is so loud. And here, John is saying that this is uh, essentially the, the sensory perception that he got of what was going on. It is overwhelming. And they're saying just what is inserted into Handel's piece. Praise the Lord. Praise him because he reigns. This is royal language. If we were to look at the entirety of the Bible, uh, one of the ways, one of the chief ways, if not the chief way that God wants to be addressed in Scripture is that of Lord. He is the Lord. To deny or not receive him as Lord is to deny or reject him. Further, he is the almighty God, or as the King James Version puts it, he is omnipotent. They both mean that he is all-powerful. He has the power and he has the authority to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to. But the thing is, is that he is a good God. So whatever his purposes are, they're good, and they're right, and they are worthy, and they're worthy to be praised. And it's good that this is the God who reigns. There's never been a perfect government in history of mankind. Every one of them corrupts. There's only one who judges justly. There's only one who reigns in complete integrity, the man Christ Jesus. And what we need to consider for ourselves tonight, every single one of us needs to consider, is the many ways in which we try to usurp his authority in our individual lives. Many of us try to put other things on the throne of our hearts, whether it be people or possessions or, or money or sex or relationships or, or, or freedom or entertainment or whatever our own wills or whatever our own desires are. And then we think about Mary laying this baby down in a manger of hay. How many of us are thinking about what false lords we have put into our hearts. This Christmas, Jesus must reign in your life. But if Jesus is truly Lord omnipotent, almighty, and if he is the one who reigns, then why, when we turn on the news, does it not seem 
like he is. And that leads us right into the third point is that we need to look for the kingdom in all its uh, fullness. To look for the kingdom in all its fullness. The third line of the chorus says this, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And if you've been with us uh, for a a little while now, we've talked a lot in the last few weeks about the kingdom of God uh, being sort of this in-between phase right now. It's already here in the sense that Christ has come and he's inaugurated his kingdom, but yet we're still living in this time which it hasn't yet come in, in, in its fullness yet. Theologians call this the already and not yet. In Jesus' first sermon in Mark chapter 1, Jesus bursts out onto the scene after John's arrest. And the very first sermon that Jesus gives is this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is come near. So repent and believe the good news. When John the Baptist was weary about whether or not Jesus was the one, he sent a couple of his his disciples to Jesus to ask him, look, look, Jesus, it it doesn't seem like you're getting the job done. Like, are are you really the one or are we going to go look for someone else? And this is what Jesus said to him in Matthew 11. Go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, Those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. So the fact that this was all true about Jesus' ministry proves that his kingdom had broken forth into this world and is beginning the process of renewal. However, watching the news yesterday, it it, it certainly doesn't... um, doesn't seem like it. So we have to understand that the kingdom is already here, but it's not yet fully here. There's coming a day in which Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to make new all things. He's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. For those that are, that are trusting in him, There's not going to be any more pain. No more sorrow. No more relationship instability. It's a strange imagery in Revelation 11 that John witnesses uh, when this angel blows his trumpet. But he hears the sound that says this. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God, of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. So that kingdom is still coming. That is the kingdom that Jesus taught us to pray for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That kingdom has had broke forth in a manger and will be realized in its fullness when he comes back. It is this kingdom that we look forward to at Christmas time. And finally, we need to worship this king forever. We need to worship this king forever. Handel and Jennings end this magnificent piece with these words. And he shall reign forever and ever, king of kings and lord of lords. 
So we've looked at his, his rule and his reign, his sovereignty, and now this here points to his supremacy. His greatness above all things. There is none like him. Of all the false gods and false idols that we set in our hearts and prop up in our uh, culture, Jesus is better. Jesus is longer lasting. It is only Jesus that can satisfy the deepest longings of our, of our souls. And in all of the instances in which we see this, this praise of King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it is always in the context of him being a conquering king. And he wants to conquer your heart. One day, he will come back. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us that on that day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who loved him and trusted him in his goodness will bow the knee in praise. Those who didn't will reluctantly and begrudgingly bow the knee and bring him glory for who he is. So the question is then at Christmas, what is your level of praise going to be? Are you going to leave this place knowing that Jesus Christ has accomplished the work that we could not do on our own and in trusting in him, we can have everlasting life? Or are you just going to shrug your shoulders and say, Meh. it's been a fun season. I'm glad that I'm able to hang out with family and do all these traditions and just move on with your life. At Christmas, it started with shepherds and wise men. This Christmas, it comes to you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Maybe you've dabbled in this Christianity thing, but you've never really made a commitment. Jesus desires that you would go either one way or another. This is the King of Kings, and he is worthy of our worship. Will you make your life's purpose to praise him? Will you make him king of your life? Will you look to his coming kingdom? And will you joyfully worship Jesus and him alone? Let's pray.